You're listening to The Lowdown, a podcast inspired by the creative people in the bass making community. I'm Frankie. I'll be sitting down with bass makers to explore what drives them creatively and to find out what challenges they face in the business of bass. Let's find out what it's all about. Let's get The Lowdown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Lowdown. Uh, here we are again. Eric is here as usual. Uh, we're super stoked today. You know, uh, we were just talking a little bit. You know, we've been doing pretty much nothing but builders up to this point, and uh, and now for something completely different. Uh, we are really lucky to have uh, Robert Sledge here today, who some people would maybe know Robert Sledge from Benfolds Five, among other things. So, welcome to our little show. Thank you, sir. It's great to oh, see you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to it. Yeah, welcome. So uh, I guess uh, first question, uh, you know, let's let's start with that uh, and and get into it. So t- talk a little bit about like like early on, like you know, inspiration when you started playing. You know, kind of give us the give us the background and the run up. Well, I'm I'm just you know, it's it's funny. Like now, it's a badge of honor that I'm going to say I just I'm ancient. You know, I'm I'm from I'm a kid of the '70s, right? And here, so, man. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so, I mean, I, I grew up thinking, you know, Grand Funk Railroad were gods and, and you know, Aerosmith was, was my favorite band. Like, I think, I guess my thing when I came, like, it was like, uh, I guess the, the um, class of 74 or something, when Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, and Cheap Trick would all like tour together they were the first sort of rock stars where I was like, whoa, those guys are serious rock stars. Like I, I was already sort of raised like listening to the Beatles and all this stuff. And I love music a whole lot. And, and so I, my dad had an enormous record collection and my brother collected stereo gear and he wanted to have hi-fi equipment and he collected records. And so, yeah, there was just a lot of music around my house. And, but I was really fixated on, these rock stars you know that were showing up on tv with like really long hair and so that's the that was my first goal to be one of those people when i was 10. i started playing uh at, well let me see i played viola when i was about nine yeah that's cool and uh i was like man i'm gonna be i'm gonna be mozart yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna I, i'm gonna learn how to write music really well i'm gonna be you know this and then i heard i i I don't know who it was that I probably heard Van Halen for the first time. And I was like, Oh man, I should play, I should play guitar. I don't know. I played bass and played guitar and, and my brother sang and we had a band and, you know, so I don't know. That's a, uh, I'm going to get off, off track now. So you asked me that. No, it's not off track at all. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. it's, it's funny. Like I, I, I feel like the viola, like gets like a lot of like, I don't know, undeserved hatred. It's, it seems it seems like especially violinists, like, oh, I hate the viola. I hear that, I hear that a lot. And it's like, why? It's a little bigger, you know, it's too I mean, they choose these things, yeah. you know, these these orchestra teachers back in the day, they would choose things based on your size, you know. So my fingers weren't small enough. Like it was always girls that played violin and my right. fingers weren't small enough. So they would <laughs> stick me on the viola. They're like, Well, should you play the cello or should you play the viola? And I'm like, I don't know. But then I picked up the double bass in class and just started playing it. And the guy was like, what is going And I'm like, yeah. yeah, it's like all my sort of folky neighbors who have classical guitars at home. I just sit around at their parties, like 
messing with their guitar, learning Barney Miller on their classical <laughs> guitars, you know? And so I know I already know how to play something tuned in fourths, you know, that was right. just- Exactly, yeah. 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 But it's cool too, it's like, you know, uh, I always, even though I like, like, you know, same, like started on electric bass, but then, then sort of playing upright after it just, it felt, feels like, oh, this is a legitimate instrument. Not that the electric bass is, but there's just something about it where like, you feel like it, it's, it just, it has a lineage to it, or at least seems like it has more of a lineage. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. So upright. Yeah. Upright was a thing I came back to eventually. And uh, not that I'm, I would consider myself, I mean, I could play swing and, country music and that kind of stuff but but i have terrible bow technique you know <laughs> I, I know you play with a french technique i saw that yeah i do i do i mean honestly i would like to switch to to german because uh that's my I, favorite yeah absolutely because i use more power and and also the thing can rest in your hand instead of sort of resting on the strings that's the it, it, it just always felt more ergonomic to me too like, if, like if you, you kind of like feel like your 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 wrist and your hand it just feels more relaxed it's it's it may, maybe not so much on the lower strings unless you like kind of turn all oh, right that, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Up, yeah. yeah but but other than that though all those other advantages that you mentioned are completely yeah it, you know, yeah and the bows look cool too it's sort of like really big you know yes. uh but I would, you know, if I started playing, I, I have a fiddle. If I started playing like fiddle, I would definitely, you know, I would probably go back to playing French, but uh, French uh, upright. But, yeah. but it's so cool to be able to like have the choice of playing, you know, play, playing Piz or Arco, you know I mean? That's the thing, right. like being able to like play sustained notes like that and do something, you, you know, it's just, you know, it's just way different than what you could normally Oh yeah, an electric bass just opens up some avenues, you know, melodically or, or whatever. So the bio you sent over, you said you actually worked over at Roscoe Guitars for a period of time. That's that's, that's I did. Cool. Well, here's the thing. So here's here's the background on Roscoe. You may you may not know this. Uh, uh, on Tate Street in Greensboro, North Carolina, that's the sort of like the college street for UNCG. Yep, and yep. Um, back in the '70s, you know, Roscoe was a hippie, and and like he had this great space upstairs and he he had a place called the guitar shop and then next door was the music loft and the music loft became a chain of stores in in north carolina but the guitar shop really that roscoe ran was like the place where everybody went and had their guitars worked on and so roscoe was just that guy and and uh so my first experience with modding guitars and having you know, people were routing things for Kalers and Floyd Rose. He was kind of the Kaler guy. I don't know why. So quite a few people were getting Kaler vibratos, putting their guitars and, and, um, you know, he was that guy. And so he, he, but he, it was funny. He went straight into making odd shapes and pointy shapes instead of doing uh, Fender style things like they're doing in California. And um, uh, so, yeah, that was a, uh, so I worked for him at that space, you know, uh, like in 1990 or something like that. And um, and that was cool. I mean, I was what he would call a sanding monkey. I just sort of sanded stuff, you know, I couldn't mess anything up too bad. You know, I would just sort of do some finished sanding and some buffing. And he had these terrible monkey grip guitars, you know, I mean, it's like, like a Steve Vai, like yeah. uh, Jim that has a monkey grip. 
Roscoe had this LG shape, like a Roscoe LG, but with yeah. a monkey grip in it. It was horrible. And I had, you know, to finish sand the, oh, these. Can't oh, even imagine what, the, what kind worst of thing in the world. Does. But it was like, oh, a lot of Bartolini, uh, a lot of Bartolini pickups. And he make, would make an LG that had like three uh, Bartolini uh, J pickups in it and like a preamp. And it was, uh, he made some really, really cool stuff back then. You know, all painted actually all painted no fancy woods yet you know gotcha I can, I can i mean if you think about it i mean i guess if you're especially when you're starting out as a builder i mean if you in fact i think we were talking about this with, with our, our last podcast it's kind of like you want to start on wood that you're not going to feel horrible about if you destroy it you know or make a mistake so yeah. it's better to have something plain that you can paint than have this really incredible piece of wood that if you you know ruin it you're just gonna feel awful you know i think too it was like a back like his period when he started making his it was uh after it was um i guess sort of probably a backlash to the olympic yes as fancy top kind of hippie kind of uh hippie sandwich looking aesthetic which is a beautiful thing of course um but you know that hadn't come back in fashion yet. Instead, it was like actually he had a, a he had a a, a painter. You, I don't know if the internet will even show you know whether this stuff exists on the internet or not. But he had a painter named Eddie who would paint all these sort of risque ladies on guitars and stuff. And so he was selling a bunch of stuff locally. It was really it was a really cool time in North Carolina because you know the furniture market. There was a lot of industry. The furniture market was still really strong. Uh, there was still a lot of jobs and hosiery mills, all the PA systems and guitars and everything were being made locally. It was so wild. Crazy. It was like this, yeah, yeah. the time I came up in was like a lot of stuff was just things you, you know, it was kind of expensive, but you could buy really good stuff that was made locally. Yeah, that's, that's incredibly unusual. I mean, it really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely it's come back to that now, you know, you can find really good stuff, but it was definitely um, a period where, you know, I guess uh, late nineties through the early two thousands where you just, you know, there weren't that many local, I don't know, or not that many people were playing local made stuff. You, you mentioned the pointy, uh, pointy guitars uh, and uh, maybe and I might be misremembering, but I, early on uh, with Ben Folds, were you playing like, like a hammer? I, think? I was, I was. Yeah, was little, I, I mean, uh, it was kind of funny too, because like yeah. the, the minute, I, I think the 80s were the best because like, uh, it's, I swear to God, like uh, New Year's Eve 1989, you know, everybody was like, oh, good riddance, the 80s. And then the next day they had an 80s dance party. Like everybody had missed the 80s immediately. And it was a, like immediate nostalgia for this superficial period where everything was artificial and strange. And like, so I, I was like, oh, I'm playing my ironic pointy bass. But that Hamer Explorer was a super light Honduran mahogany body wow. that was an amazing instrument. It, the neck. The net got broken on it twice, so yeah, it didn't I, last. But it was amazing. That was an incredible bass. Yeah, because if I remember, the, those had a, also sort of an Explorer headstock, but it had like a little bit of kind of a lip on it. But I don't think they had a volute, right? They're kind of like voluteless, kind of no, like yeah. are. So if, if, yeah. Yeah, if, it, if it fell over, it could break really easily. Yeah. But, 
but no, you're right though. It's like I, I it, it, it kind of like the, the base that I like immediately like associate with you know like Rick Savage and Def Leppard and exactly. You know, yeah. And, and, and and here's here's a here's a guy in a band who basically looks looks like a jazz trio and he's rocking the hammer i just think it's oh, awesome yeah oh yeah 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 that was fun i mean you know it's just fun to sort of genre hop and to kind of mix yeah. things up you know uh i mean but it was way better than any fender like oh it, yeah it was really, really cool. hard to, and i didn't understand also that i really love the pj setup and i kept trying to play jazz basses and this is just me and i'm like man i want to look like boots here larry graham <laughs> something like that i want to play some cool bass with like block inlays and i kept trying jazz basses and it's just i, I it's just not really my thing so that that hammer with the pj that was that was a really cool thing also i have to say this about wood choice um and i know it's dangerous because some people get all crazy about what, oh, yeah. about what woods about sound like but I, I know what some woods sound like, and they sound like what I think they sound like. And this, and mahogany has um, where the, the fundamental, the low end fundamental peak is, it's perfect for uh, pianos to, to blend with a piano. Um, I mean, and you know, I guess the fusion people kind of discovered that a long, long time ago, Alphonse Johnson or Alfonso Johnson, somebody like that, you know, a lot of those people would play mahogany instruments and stuff, but. Yeah, that sort of like instead of that scooped ash or the broad alder, yeah, the, the, the mahogany has a little punch down there. Yeah, like it's kind of like like a thicker lower mid range, basically. Like it, it just has a different voice. You know, yeah, somewhere around like one twenty or something. It just goes bam. Yeah, and, and again, and generally that's true. And of course, you know, then you start you know fiddling with you know, what materials the bridge is made out of. And, yeah. Yeah, but the, but that also like sort of affecting you know, dynamic range as well as just you know total range too. It's just kind of all over the place. You know, it's funny. Places. I think bridges are like um, converters. Like I've done a bunch of studio work, and um, a great way of saying really it. worrying about like the converters. And I, I you know so I was into Pro Tools like pretty early, and like you know I was like, oh man, should I go with all Apogee converters? Right. So uh, like I got these Apogee converters and it really took like a year for me to hear the difference between the sound of my studio and somebody else's studio. And then when I switched converters again, I'm like using RME stuff. I'm like, okay, that sounds different, but what does it sound like? If I use it all the time, what do my records sound like? It's the same thing I think with materials and bridges. You, you can't just go on a form and be like, I empirically know that there's going to be more sustain right right and that's that's a die cast bridge on alder you know you just don't know you have to have it in context for like six months or a year and then you can go you know i like it more and 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 honestly that being said even not even just like you know comparing alder to swamp ash to northern ash to uh basswood to you know the mahogany to true mahogany to you know also even if you like you take different cuts of woods from different parts of the tree depending on you because know, everything's compressing differently you know because of how much weight it's supporting and that sort of thing i mean you, you can get kind of you know different sounds uh again it's a subtle thing but theoretically from the same damn tree you know i mean that, that right. that's, that's that's crazy um 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think too, I mean, I guess it's probably I'm like all over the place now, but I think like cool. a, lot of, yeah. a lot of builders, well, like say like Michael Tobias or somebody like that and and uh, not unlike Keith Roscoe, they will be using um, Bartolini stuff kind of exclusively where they did for a long time. Yeah. And because I guess it gave them another set of controls that was like consistent, you know? because there are all this other variety going on and inconsistencies in wood and that kind of stuff. And their recipes might change, but like at least they can control that. That's my, that's my thinking on, on that kind of thing. Oh, no, it makes a lot of sense. Cause you know, honestly, up until say, I don't know, maybe like 15 odd years ago, you know, Bartolini really only had like one series of pickups, you know, so what they would call their original series or deep tone series. Yeah. That was just the sound and, and, and they probably make more pickup shapes than anybody out there. So oh. if you're a builder and you're making something and whatever amount of strings you have or, or whatever it is, I mean, they, they, they probably make, you know, make that shape whereas as others don't. So, uh, yeah it just works but yeah it ends up being like the one consistent thing like you know what you're going to get from that pickup be it a jazz pickup or a p pickup or maybe yep. it's a dual coil or a quad coil you know it's like you know what to expect from it yeah uh, it's, I think it's, i'm the worst person in the world to talk to so the, like when people ask me questions about like the, the new kid on the block like what do you think about this new pickup builder this sort of like pit face you know uh bull house or whatever they the name like and i'm like and I'm like, they're like so much better than Bartolini or so much better than Seymour Duncan. I'm like, I don't know, man. I mean, those guys have been, those are the OGs. They've been making pickups forever and they're really good. Like I want some guy in his garage to make great pickups and people like it. And, and people like to be friends with this person, you know, and, and, and that's amazing. But Seymour Duncan is the man. I mean, he oh my is, god he, the bartolini like that's amazing what they've done you well, know it's so. i mean it's crazy like uh right. and, and again what you know that's the cool thing too is like what what is better you know right i mean that that, that is so up for interpretation uh yeah. you know ultimately if it sounds great to you then then it's better but like but that's right i mean you know duncan for instance i mean i mean my gosh they they, they bought winding machines from the original uh, Michigan uh, Gibson factory that they wind like Gibson PAF reproductions on. So like you literally right. get, get a pickup that's more authentic than you can get from Gibson from Seymour Duncan, you know, yeah. made there, made on the same machines and, and the whole bit. It's just, you know, his, his, his knowledge is just crazy. Yeah, I mean, and, and also about pickups too. Like, I mean, like I would say like Bartolini's are probably, I have a soft spot for them because because of the Roscoe thing, I was able to sure. put Bartolini's in multiple different instruments and hear my instrument change in a cool way and sort of be more hi-fi all of a sudden. And I was like, this is great. But like, I I know that I'm sort of a child of DiMarzio's because I'm from the 70s. Yeah, and, I yeah. And I wanna think like, oh, in the good old days, everybody had Al Nico pickups, but I'm not one of those people. Like I grew up playing these like inexpensive Japanese basses uh, that had DeMarzio P pickups in them. And which and are great. I had a great time. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, I'm all over the place. Like I say, like, yeah. you know, you ask me a question. I like, I kind of like everything, you know. Uh, well, well, that's it. I'm making good music on it. Well, well, that's it. I was reading uh, some of your bio, the fact that, you know, you, you know, you, you've done, you know, 
basically went from you know learning the bass at 11 to like playing prog rock to playing uh you know uh basically you know thrash funk yeah uh, yeah playing jazz you know sure. it, it's just you know just very eclectic and i think i think for the most part uh you, you know it seems like i meet a lot of bass players that are like that we, we kind of like lots of stuff yeah so, back in the back in the 80s i definitely got into i guess heavier music like uh sure uh mostly kind of punk tinged metal which kind of became thrash metal you know and then uh california had this amazing outpouring like in the late 80s with like fishbone and fishbone's incredible primus and yeah. james addiction and the chili peppers and that was a huge influence on me like uh i i so that was just right up my street you know so I, I already had the, when I was a kid, I used to sit around like learning how to play Yes records and Rush Rec. Rush was a big thing. And I learned a lot of Rush, most Rush. Uh, and I learned how to play a lot of Yes, like a few different records all the way through. And and, and I really liked Jimmy Johnson, uh, his period with Alan Holdsworth and Jeff Berlin and, you know, that um, Bill Bruford, Jeff Berlin, Alan Holsworth lineup. Uh, that was a huge influence on me. And, you know, I learned some, what I could from that. Uh, well, well and, that's it. Th th that music's like an education, you know. Ultimately. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'm a huge fan of the, or, you know, of the Dixie Dregs, too. That was the thing. Oh. I was really happy that there was this Southern band that was like, Deep sort of like our Southern Mahavishnu that was <laughs> that's that a was way so good, you know. And they were like the Almond Brothers, like everybody had a story about the Dixie Dregs the same way they had a story about the Almond Brothers. Like in the South, you know, everybody's like, yeah, I met Greg Almond and he stole my girlfriend <laughs> or something, you know, like, I hate that guy. And I'm like, he's a pretty good singer, though, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I have my girlfriend, You're like, just see me, uh, see me a song. Come and go, but you know, yeah. the Almond Brothers yeah. are eternal. That's right. That's right. <laughs> See that 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 that's a big picture kind of way of thinking. That I think you know for the most part, ba more ba bass players. That's why I think so many bass players like are producers too. You kind of think, oh yeah, you're, you're like kind of like taking everything in and really thinking about your role, you know, in that song and trying to like do what you can to make the song great and give it what it needs. Basically, you know, that's how I, you know. Yeah, at this point, you need to interview my brother because he he'll tell you that like. I, I would get kind of hard. Like I, I would run band rehearsals. We practice at my house and I would run band rehearsals and I still get a little Sergeant Sledge on, on people when things, when people aren't using their time wisely, you know? <laughs> Sergeant Sledge. And I'm like, I think we got in this room to accomplish something. Am I right? You know, like, I get a little like that, you know, we need to, you know, we need to make good use of our time and get on and play a gig. And, you know, I get kind of uh, workmanlike, you know, unless I was trying to write a song and everybody just needs to shut up and wait. <laughs> everybody wait. Well, you know, right. It's, it's great to have fun. Like, we're, you know, we're having fun now, but but at a certain point, you know, you get everybody together in the same room. At some point, something has yeah. to get done. You know, yeah, I mean, and, you know and that can be fun. Yeah. You know? And to your point about being a producer, that that's, that's the origins of like of that sort of um, organized, you know, yeah. organized approach to to getting some music done, which is really like, uh, you know, a lot of people 
uh, is really appealing. And a lot of people are like, ah, oh, my band is, you know, just all chaos. And can I please come over to your house and, and record? I'm like, sure, you know, and we'll, we'll do a session. And, and I seem to have all the gear and, and uh, know how to use my time, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Right. And sometimes, you know, there might be something, you know, you can say something to somebody in the band that maybe somebody else in the band couldn't say to somebody in the band, you know, it, it gets something out of that, right? You know, because it, it, it won't be a personal thing. It'd be more like a creative choice yeah. kind of thing, right? You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, when Pro Tools, like, uh, I was during that sort of first, um, you know, wave of people, you know, and I would just be like, hey, you know, I mean, y'all got five days. <laughs> Y'all got five days of recording, so I can't do four days of guitar solos. So we're just gonna do a best of, and I'm yeah. gonna comp, I'm gonna comp it like in the next couple of hours, and that's gonna be it. And of course, the guitar player is like, "Oh my god!" And I'm like, "So maybe you should consolidate your ideas and lay down the thing that you want to do." And everybody's in the background going, "Keep saying that. Keep saying that to that person." <laughs> So yeah, you're right. I there's a lot of times when I was the the bad cop, you know, and I would be like, hey, you need to make a point. You it's, know? It's, it's a hat you have to wear, you know. Yeah. It's, it's a, and it's, and yeah. sometimes you know, I think that that interpersonal relationship, you know, with, with members of the band, that that's probably just as important, you know, in terms of getting yeah. things done and get, getting across creatively what, what the vision is. You, you need somebody to do that, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, that being said, of course, I, I understand what it's like to sort of like really woodshed an idea. And sometimes it takes a long time for you to feel yeah. like you, you're you done with it and all this stuff. But, you know, uh, it, it, every different approach works. There's no there's no wrong approach. But, you know, yeah. you've got to you got to try a few before, you know, where you get it right. Because, I mean, we made a lot of records. Like, I mean, we made a lot of tracks in Bitfolds 5 and, you know, sometimes everything would just feel like perfect. I'm like, this is going great. And Ben is sort of like looking down into the piano, like, but he's not accomplishing what he wanted to accomplish, you know? And I'm like thinking to myself, it's the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, how can he, you know, but it's just not, it's not checking all the boxes for him, you know? So I, I had to be available, you know, for him to work that out until, you know, he's satisfied, you know, otherwise it's just going to be miserable. You know, I don't want to go on tour with that guy who's just like, I'm going to hate forever that we laid down that track on that record. And I have to play it every night wrong. You know, so, you know, that, uh, yeah. I can imagine you know, you're writing a song. It's kind of like your baby essentially, yeah. you know? So, so if you, you know, basically you, 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 you made your, you know, you, maybe, maybe you thought your baby was a brunette and now it's a redhead, you know, or whatever, yeah. you know, it's just, it just isn't, isn't what you, what you wanted, you know, but have that the vision that you wanted or intended or whatever, but yeah, it's all indefinable, I guess, to some degree, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, whether we're talking about, you know, producing or, or, you know, running a business or, or whatever, or writing a song, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, th I think that it all, as long as it's all in the service of, of the good that you kind of want to create, if you're trying to, you know, if the big picture is that you're trying to sort of uh, move your good idea forward with a crew of people that you really like, you know, then, you know, sometimes you have to take a couple steps back to do it right. And sometimes you have to speed it up. That's right. You know? 
like during the pandemic like what have you been doing like during the pandemic in terms of like musical stuff i mean obviously it's been hard to get a bunch of people to go into the studio yeah uh, different worlds you know i've done a few sessions uh that were just sort of limited amounts of people i'm really fortunate i have a studio literally in my neighborhood i, I in chapel hill I'm, I'm super fortunate um though it may not be the center of the music world as much as it thought it used to be there's still a lot of people here that make a lot of music and um there's a studio called the rubber room here in my neighborhood and i i can go up there and play on on people's you know singer songwriter records all the time i mean i don't know if you ever heard of a band called mandolin orange um uh, they're like a Americana kind of folk band. I'll check it, I'll yeah. check it out. And they're literally my neighbors. I mean, they, they yep. used to live right across the street from me. Now they moved down the street. But, you know, all their early stuff was made at that studio up the street. And there's a big bluegrass and there's a big bluegrass scene. So there's a lot of there's a lot going on around here. And I'll occasionally pick up a, you know, a recording session. She said, you know, during the pandemic. And also I've been working on um Surrender Human, which is a, a band that I have with Matt McMichaels and Tony Stiglitz. And um, that's sort of like an, uh, you know, 90s style indie pop band. And I do all the recording for that, you know. So we finished uh, a record and then kind of put it out right as the pandemic happened. And then we've been doing singles, you know, just remote recording stuff that we already had, you know, songs that we already had put together but i think that's that's going to be ongoing too just, oh yeah it, yeah it's, a, it's 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 in some ways uh you, you know like you're talking like having the in some in some sense having the time restrictions uh of actually going into a studio like a like a you know studio you're paying for time and can be a good thing in terms of that good pressure of, of getting something out but at the same oh, time yeah. some, sometimes it's just nice to go hey you know i can just let this take the time it needs to take to gestate and become something, you know, great on, on its own time too, you know, yeah. at home, you know, so. Yeah, I like it all. I mean, I, I kind of yeah. think that uh, it it's really good for people to work out their sound at home, you know, and learn how to do it without an audience. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely a skill, like playing with a metronome is a skill. How to be yourself, even though you're playing with a metronome, you know how to sound like a human being even though you're being on a doll you're playing on a doll and playing in a way that's a huge i need to have my own podcast about this but like um yeah. so there's a lot to be learned from playing remotely that i yeah. i hope that we're gonna take into we have to that's what we're, what's gonna happen we're gonna oh. take into this sort of post-pandemic kind of time um but you know a lot of people i know are getting their their workstation chops together and getting their equipment, you know, pro enough to release tracks and, or to contribute to tracks. And that's been a really good thing. Oh, know, I think and drummers have it the hardest. Drummers and it's drummers and loud guitar players, you know. Well, well, right, especially especially like with loud guitar players where, you know, part of their sound is the fact that they don't think they can get their sound any other way that other than like just you know, pushing, you know, uh, the tube amp to its limits, and there's no other way to get that sound as far as they're concerned, you know, I mean, th then you're gonna have a hard time, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I really have cracked that. I figured that. 
Yes. <laughs> I know it's not true. <laughs> I just saw a podcast where a guy, uh, a guy from Jensen was talking about the way speakers react. And he was saying that this, and this is him. He was saying it's absolutely not true that speakers are going to sound better at a certain almost yeah. push to their limits they have, they have like a, that, like, right there's a sweet spot with them yeah right? well they actually they have a really wide sweet spot between basically pushing like one watt that's fine and pushing like you know two-thirds of their total power that's fine too so it's more to do with the back the front and the back end of the amp than it is yeah. to do with the actual uh whether or not the speaker is saturating this you know if you want a loud room, that's one thing. You know, you can have a ribbon mic in a loud room and you're getting it from front and back or an omni mic or something like that. That's another thing. If you really want to make a room vibrate, that's a totally different thing. But yeah. the speaker itself saturating, you know, I, I mean, I just think that guitar players are making themselves deaf by, by you on. know, trying to play too loud in a room when they could be doing other things. They, you know, put up, <laughs> you know, you could just you know, run a really high gain pedal into the front of their amp and then record it quietly, you know, at about yeah. 70 dB. And believe me, I've done like thousands of experiments on that and it's just fine. Yeah, and, <laughs> just and, fine. and, and there's certainly yeah. no, no shortage of great load boxes, you know, to, to, to put between heads and speaker cabs at this point either. I mean, just- Yeah, and there's excellent simulators being made now. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I mean, I think the Oxbox is amazing and a lot of people are tweaking those things to get really excellent results and stuff. But I have to say that uh, I don't even think they need that. I mean, I, you know, I agree. I, I mean, I think it's cool to buy new stuff and you, to change things up and to get new sounds for sure. Like, but, like, if, like if you're recording at home, like what's your signal chain like? I have uh, kind of a mod, like I've, I got into modular synthesizers really hard a few years ago and really wanted to modularize all my stuff because I have lots of different kinds of gear. So what I did was modularize my bass amp and my guitar amp system. So I have, um, like I'll do two different mic or DI sources at any given time, right? So it's all modular. So I can run a ribbon mic on a guitar cabinet and a condenser or a DI and a, a, you know, DI and a mic, but most, most commonly what I'll do, I have a Demeter preamp and I run that into like a crown amp and I have an amp cabinet switcher. Yeah. yeah. So I have one of those and I have a few different cabinets. And so I can switch between cabinets at any given time, but like, so I run really hot signals into my Demeter out into my crown, out into a couple of different sort of guitar cabinets. And I never run anything above 80 dB. I'm always really hitting the front end of the amp really hard. And I use a tube condenser on a guitar, a little small guitar speaker, and it sounds great. I, you know, I mean, I've done it with 12 inch speakers. You know, I've done it with 15 inch speakers because I've got all these things on a switcher and I can just move, I can literally just move the mic stand up or down to hit different cabinets. Um, you know, I have various DIs I can use too. I have like those um, old triad transformers that they put in the Acme DIs, like the Motown. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to yeah. just get some of those original DIs. And so I have those. And so I can intermix that and Jensen DIs. And so I have a, a lot of different stuff, but most of the time it's a, 
a Rode tube mic with an old Telefunken tube in it and, uh, you know, a, you know, a guitar cabinet. <laughs> That's very cool. But it sounds like you basically have everything kind of like set up and ready to go. So you can just, you know, basically choose what you yeah. want to be active, essentially, and go for That's it. That's right. And there's a, just yeah. a pedal board sitting on top of a, of a road case. And I just kind of reconfigure the pedal board to get whatever sound I want into my Demeter preamp, which is kind of like a dual showman. That's a, a yeah. showman circuit. So it's very fendery. When you hit bright, it's just very it sounds exactly like a Fender to me, so. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I started getting into electronics a little while ago and the thing you start finding out is that pretty much every amp in existence is kind of like a variation on some other amp, basically, yeah. you know. It, yeah, the Marshall is it like a variation on on whatever, you know, yeah, on, on a, I can't remember which Fender, but, you know, and then the Fender, of course, just a variation on, R, on an RCA. Right. Uh, radio yeah which makes makes total sense i mean when you get right down to it uh you kind of see the evolution of it essentially i mean the, it, to me it's kind of neat that like distortion ended up being a thing you know something that you know designers of those that equipment certainly probably wanted to avoid and it ended up being something they're like oh that's you know that sounds cool you know i mean it just kind of took yeah. off yeah you know? i saw that great um origins of fuzz that josh um scott is that his name from JHS. Yeah, yeah he's awesome. I love it. Yeah, and he was talking about the, the broken channel in the console in Studio B, maybe in Nashville, which I've been to a lot, actually. Not that they have that same console, no, right. but uh, the Marty Robbins track that has the original fuzz on it, uh, that's that's amazing. Somebody should actually make that thing, right. you know, instead of remaking the, the satisfaction box over and over again, the, the Maestro fuzz. You know, just saying, somebody should do that. Maybe that's something that. Uh, maybe that's what I should do. Right? Maybe you should. Yeah. Yeah. They said that that's a transformer, and it's not just like, it's not a you know cascade transistors. It's like a transformer uh, problem that created that distortion. Huh. And later, what they did was they put a couple of transistors in line to you know they would overdrive it. It's really fun. I mean, I've been tinkering with guitars for a really, really long time. I mean, you know, I've been taking them apart and cutting them. And sometimes you know, I cringe at the things that I've messed sure. up. But you know, I mean, since, I mean, my brother would get the stuff from yard sales and just bring it home and I would take things apart. And so, you know, I, I you know, I've seen, you know, PAF pickups. <laughs> I was like, why does this say patent applied for? you know on this the bottom of this thing you know and i give the guy the, his guitar back with his pickup in it but like you know I, I i definitely had a lot of stuff in my hands and it but you know as far as like modifying things you know i hit i mean i guess i know a lot about gear but i always hit this like i have this um theory like if i'm playing it for about five or ten minutes and i'm not thinking at all about the sound or analyzing it at all and it's just working i'm like okay it hit that five minute mark so it must be good I don't, I don't know how much it costs or who made it but but uh it's working it's working for me you know it's great no, uh, sense, no sense overthinking it at that point i guess yeah i mean you sometimes you just can't be analytical you just have to get you have to just enjoy it you know yeah but yeah i say that you know i'm a total hypocrite but like because i love to talk about you know you know what kind of windings the transformers were made of and shit like that, 
you know. But uh, but sometimes it is fun to just enjoy it, you know. I was looking looking through like some of the other like like folks you've played with and stuff, and uh, it, 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 you, again, like it's 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 pretty pretty diverse, like uh, like uh, with Tom's from the Scroll Net Zippers and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, is it a lo like is he local as well, or is that how you know him? Or yeah, Tom Maxwell, uh, the Scroll Net Zippers. Um, you know, there was a big swing revival in the nineties. I remember. And yeah, it's cool. And the zippers were sort of like the, the sort of real strange, um, unsophisticated, gutsy kind of raw version of that. And there was a lot of people in LA who were like really slick and pro, or on the West Coast, they're really slick and pro sounding. But the zippers had this, you know, very sawdust kind of, you know, it sounds like a house party, you know, that just got recorded. And so, Tom Maxwell um, and Jimbo Mathis um, were just amazing. And they sort of, they split up and, and I was good friends with Tom. And so I went out with Tom and I would play upright bass and we had sort of the second zippers for a while. It was like most of the squirrel nut zippers with me on the bass, but without Jimbo and Catherine. And uh, I was raised sort of, I listened to a lot of jump swing and, and swing mu music as a kid from my dad who had a huge jazz collection and I listened to a lot of that stuff. And so I, um, it was, I was so happy to, to do that. Not that I'm some fantastic upright bass player, but I was just enthusiastic about it. Oh, you yeah. know, so we did do that for a while until Tom, you know, changed, wanted to change his direction. His jump swing seemed to be waning, you know. Well, it, it, it was definitely interesting because it was like such a, it was kind of like, became a thing for such such a short period of time it was like it was there and it just seemingly you know was there and gone basically yeah i mean the 90s were weird like that i mean you know yeah. you start off uh with really heavy music and then it turns into kind of well you like had sort of the death throes of metal and thrash and then that goes into grunge and then you had this weird period in the middle where benfolds five and um cake and um yeah you know, this sort of strange uh, genre hopping sounding bands, you know, the totally. ladies were definitely yeah. one of the people, you know, yeah. they sort of, we all had our, we were kind of musicologists and sort of had our feet in different places, you know, and then it, uh, how did it end? I don't know. It ended with hip hop, you know, I, I, but, um, but the Scornet Zipper is definitely like a big swing scene, Cherry Popping Daddies, Royal Crown Review, Scornet Zippers, all those bands, you know, you, know, you get the Gap commercial with Louis Prima soundtracks and stuff like that. And uh, it was a fun, it was really a fun time. And all those bands would play, you know, you would get this big, you know, you get like Smash Mouth, Ben Folds Five, <laughs> the Scornet Zippers and Duran Duran on a big bill. You know, I would come home and tell people this the, this concert that I just played, like, you know, in Washington or San Francisco or something like that. And they're like, you did what? I'm like, yeah, that's all those bands were on the same bill. Back when radio was like really important, you know. <laughs> well, well, like like when you were talking earlier, I think we were, you were talking about like seeing, uh, uh, was it like, like, see, like be able to, you're coming from like a time where you could see like, you know, like, was it like, like Nugent and like cheap trick and uh like yeah. at the same time you know i mean 
that's just that's just nuts that they'd all be in the same bill you know i mean it's it's just kind of crazy to think about well yeah i mean you know yeah. we, we have that sort of uh rear view mirror we have that sort yeah. of distant perspective but you know all of those bands um that was their coming that was their coming out period you know right and um they all were slightly different and they hadn't yet become rock legends you know who knew whether they were going to have more than two albums in them you know and they all became institutions of sound like their personalities you know diverged and they became these cornerstones of you know of, of rock music all in their different categories you know uh it you know i don't know it just it's really interesting you know um but they they weren't at the time so different it was just new rock music you know eric man what's happening you know i so i i've been listening to you two talk you know and i'm like man like i remember all of these like because i was you know i'm a you know i was born in 75 right so you know like i'm you know i'm i'm listening to all of the stuff that's going on over the last 20 years and i'm having these flashbacks of you know like i went to uh I went to Van Halen, like when they were playing in St. Pete, uh, I don't know when the heck that was. That was like, that was like a thing in the 90, what was that? 92, 93, something like oh, that. Oh yeah. And, and you know, that was like towards the tail end and, you know, and like I'm listening to like, like all of these, all of these bands that are just, you know, like I want, I want, I don't know. I, I like, I sort of want that back. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Zero. You know, there's like a there needs to be a resurrection of of, you know, being able to go to shows and being able to, you know, experience that live. And, you know, there's just everybody's missing it. And I, oh, man, I, I feel like there's such like a pent up demand for that right now. You know, as soon as, you know, uh, COVID shots and all this other stuff kind of kicks in, I, I think there's just going to be an explosion of people just like taking off work and like, you know, just going and doing things and getting outside and doing, you know, shows and just sort of like living life, maybe yeah. in a way I mean, that they haven't the, been able to do in the last year. Right. The spectacle of like that mass gathering and then, you know, the focus of the show, yep. you know, that was a ritual that I grew up on, yep. you know, and um, you know, that like for rock and roll and guitar music, uh, that's a special kind of, there's a special kind of way of doing that. You know what I mean? You're focusing on players, yep. you know. So. And, and the shows have so much production value too, in terms of just, you know, just, just the, the lighting and then going to like your rear screen projection and experience. Yeah. all yeah. this kind of stuff. Just yeah, that's show. right. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right, totally right. Like the social experience of having that, the electricity of having that many people yes. around. That's, that's, that's like, like I'm, yeah. Yeah, that's yes. what plants it in your in your yeah. soul, right? You know, it, it just you know, you the more sort of uh, uh, senses that you activate, you know, in an experience, the deeper seated it is, right? I mean, there's been studies on that and everything else, and I think you know, nowhere is that more sort of seen when you go to a show or you you have an in person experience. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to just listen to it you know, in, in headphones. Right. I mean, even, yeah. even that, right. So listening to it, you know, in a, in a, you know, in a room and then listening to something with headphones, right. And then listening to something and also seeing it. 
right? You know, and, and, and then obviously involving the other senses, you know, touch and, and smell and all of these. That's, that's where, like, you look back, right, and you, you just sort of re-experience it. You feel it, you know. And, yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. I mean, there's a there's a thing like, uh, you know, we have mirror neurons, right, where, you know, people get around each other and they want to finish each other's sentences and stuff. Or, you know, you watch somebody else. In my case, like, I, I won't be that familiar with an artist or like I'm maybe not totally sure about something, but I'll be watching somebody else really loving it. And it makes me happy, you know, I'm like, man, yeah. they're really getting off on that. That's a cool thing, you know, like, so go into a show and sort of like feeling a little like out of sorts and all of a sudden everybody's super excited and just being around lots of people. That's an experience that, I mean, it doesn't even matter almost like who the super weirdo is on stage. You know, you don't really even want to know them, but they're this master of ceremonies and they're putting on this huge like great event and everybody's just having a great they're like the, a really great host to a party you yeah. know and that is that is just part of the culture i really well, well I that's really it miss. Yeah. and everybody like enjoying it at once almost like like this yeah. like everybody's like everybody's one you know and and, and that's such yeah. a thing it's so much you know like going going to the concert and then watching like a video version of it. it's just it's not the same at, at that point. oh yeah cool. i mean i've I've played a bunch of like, in the last few years, I've played a bunch of like jazz shows, right? And people get up and play solos and sometimes you have guest soloists and stuff. And it's really exciting when someone shows up and you're like, man, this guy's got an attitude, you know? And then and they get on their guitar or their instrument or one of their sax and they go off and they just really go somewhere, you know? And you can feel the whole entire bar just kind of go, what is going on, you know? And everybody's like doing that, looking around at each other thing, like, man, this guy's the best, you know, the best thing I've ever seen in my life, you know, and whether it is or not, it doesn't matter. They're having a great time, you know, and uh, just that, that sort of shared experience is, yeah. is huge, you know, and, you know, and the person on stage uh, is feeling it, you know, uh, they really know that there's this surge there's this sort of surge of emotion that's happening. They've tapped into something really strong and people are going there with them. And uh, that's a, that's a great, that's a great feeling. I, you know, I want us to be able to get back to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens every day, you know, in normal circumstances, it happens all the time and people fall in love with music because of that. They fall in love with the, the people making the music and, you know, the experience of it. You know, I, yeah. I I think in some ways I think I I, I feel lucky like because I, I I was born in, like in '72 you know and and it, it, there's just like there's less less stuff to devote your you know your time to so so it was it was a lot easier to say hey I'm gonna go in a dark room and I'm gonna like put these headphones on I'm gonna listen to this whole record from front to back you know yeah. the liner notes and look at the pictures and you already have kind of an idea of what it is before it even starts playing and yes yeah you know where now everything's kind of piecemeal and convenient and that's great I love that part of it but boy you know getting a record was like such a, it was like an event you know it, yeah such a different yeah. thing yeah it's part of that experience absolutely yeah there was just I mean it too I mean there's like, there was a lot less it was 
half the amount of people in the world when you were born, you know? True, true, yeah. So, and there was less people to sort of like go talk to about your record, you know? Uh, and, you know, being bored and having to, you know, create fun stuff to do in your bored time without as many people around, that was just a normal thing that you had to do. So looking at the artwork of the record and in reading who was the assistant engineer and yeah. you know the actual real name of the artist you found out in the writing credits you know yeah, something that's, like that. that's, that's you know that yeah. yeah. yet again this record was recorded at AM records why does every record that yeah. i recorded at AM records you know right that kind of stuff yeah why why, why does this engineer seem to be on all the records they like and you know, yeah because ken scott's really good yeah Right. That, that, no, it's, it's true, but that, that, yeah. that's that's what would end up happening. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, that 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 definitely, you know, I think the experience. It's a it's a weird thing. I I feel very very, uh, you know, disconnected a lot of times to, to new music, and I hate that. I'm like, oh man, the times have changed. I'm like, like don't be such an old person. The minute I actually go looking for the stuff that I liked originally about music, it's still. It's still there. It's just, you know, there's just, like you said, there's just a lot of noise out there and you have to sort of fight for that space where people are producing, you know, records on vinyl and you have to listen to the whole entire thing, you know, and it's still, you know, there's people still trying to do that, you know, but it's, it's a strange, it's a strange time, you know, you have to force yourself to, you know, focus on it. You ever, you ever like find yourself i'm sure it happens to, where you know you, you just kind of like i don't know but get an inkling just like to listen to something you haven't listened to in a long time and you're like then you can kind of like bring you right back to you know you know where where you were what you were doing how you felt you know when the first time you heard it you know that that, that sort of thing just uh yep. yeah definitely i have a bunch of i have a bunch of vinyl and i have uh i just got an old stereo i got a sherwood from a friend of mine who who uh, he's sort of my my partner and my mentor in a way he like you know fixes old stereos and has taught me a lot about electronics and uh he had an old sherwood and he refurbished it and something about that sound of that mid-70s sherwood with my with my turntable and listening to old records that were mastered analog you know the smell of it and and just yeah i mean i can immediately visualize that experience of being a kid again you know I mean, I, I wonder too, like people, I wonder if that experience is kind of universal, that sort of like this time stop in that way for people who buy records now. I don't know. You know. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. I, I, I would hope so, because I would, I would think something has to drive them to like want to buy the record, you know, right. and then to want to do that again. There has to be some sort of a, you know, transcendent sort of experience that kind of happens from from doing that, you know, I, I would think. Yeah, I, I wonder if like just the owning um, the thing, owning the music itself, you know, the music is now this cardboard and vinyl thing. And that's where it is. It's not in, it's not in the cloud, you know, it's actually on your shelf, you know, yeah. and it's a physical, it's a physical tangible experience you know and this mechanical experience of putting it putting the needle down and that's you know as strange as it is it's really a strange process to to think about grooves on a record like and how that's cut and how that becomes electricity that's really strange but like 
you know, but that I think I think that does lead people to these quieter, these quieter moments, the, the mechanical, the physical experience, you know, the mechanical interface with uh, the record and all that stuff. It leads people to a path of a quieter experience. I would have never thought I would say those words 40 years yeah. ago, but I think it's the truth. Almost like there's like a ritual to it in a sense. We kind of, yeah. you kind of take you, you know, considering if you like think of like your know, currency is basically like numbers on the screen now that's kind of what has happened to music too it's just the idea of it being like a physical thing that you're kind of like bringing into existence by dropping that needle on it and all the processes that are going on to make the sound waves it eventually get to your ear i mean it's just it's a beautiful thing all the sort of strange mechanical differences between these different formats that happened you know in the, in between 1990 and 2000 it was really strange we had like i mean cassettes were the biggest thing in 1990, like cassettes were huge and vinyl was dying. And then uh, CD, well, sorry, CDs, you know, you had vinyl, cassettes, CDs, then like mini discs or something, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, things remember, like that. Remember singles? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. You just have like, yeah this much tape or something inside it's of insane yeah it, it just seems like i mean the amount the amount of you know resources that probably went into uh you know making you know that thing just for what it was it's just kind of crazy to think about but yeah and you had to re you had to wait and to rewind that was yeah. really or, or 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 like eight track tapes where uh you know some, sometimes you'd be listening to an eight track and it would it would cut to the next track on some records like like midway through a song, you know, it, was, it, it could be annoying sometimes. Uh, try, gosh, you, you know. Like yeah, and I had a, a screwdriver in the top of my eight track to, to put it to make sure the heads like tracked right, so it get more high end when I put the screwdriver in. Did you ever I, have to do? <laughs> no, I, I didn't get that. Your heads would go out of a line. Your heads would go out of a line on an eight track, and you would have this big cartridge in there. And you would monkey with the cartridge and it would start sounding better. I'm like, oh, you know, and then I would be like, oh, okay, well, if I stick the screwdriver in there, you know, hold it there, kind of like, yeah. wedge it on in. Yeah. See, that, that, that's, that's the, uh, uh, the, 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 the spirit of, uh, you know, ingenuity right there, just like yeah. out of necessity, experimenting, you know, experimenting like, hey, it works when I do this. So, yeah. A lot of people listen to podcasts now you know, while they're working or while they're commuting. And, you know, if we're not going to be commuting, you know, they might listen to a record on their commute, you know, or they might listen to a playlist on their commute. And, and I wonder like, you know, if that, that is going to change things. The fact that people, I mean, yet again, uh, music is going to change because the lack of, lack of commute, you know, because I, I don't think people are going to go back to to commuting as much. I think this is because of the pand pandemic, you know, people are gonna work from home a lot more, people who can, you yeah. know? And uh, so that sort of, you know, yeah, where is that space that you're talking about? I mean, like, where's that time, you know, that you would have where you can't do anything else than listen to a podcast or listen to a record? Or a book. Uh, even like that, that's a kind of a relatively new thing too. Is like everybody be able to like listen to a book and do something else at the same time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess in your garden or or, <laughs> or, or going for a hike head. or something. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Or a hike on a walk. Yeah. 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 But yeah, the idea of sitting down, you know, I mean, that's the class probably 
been done in a, a bunch of sort of retro movies where the kid sits down with the with the realistic headphones, which I had, and you know, sits there and listens to whatever, you know, hipster record they 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 the revisionist history has you listening to at that time, you know, for Stranger Things or whatever the show yeah. is. And, you know, so he's sitting there listening to, you know, talking heads or or television or or somebody like that. It's just super hip from New York, you know. But like it, it is true, you know, but I mean I think it's is that kind of a teenager y thing? Is that kind of a a time yeah. in, in your life where you between one place and another when you have that time to do that or maybe in college but you don't really get that time again as an adult you know I don't think right. that that you know adults have ever had time to right the records you know to, to the point that you pr practically feel guilty if, if it's like you're only doing one thing at a time you know we're like you know geez if i just sit down and just listen to music right now what what else could i be doing you know you almost feel like you yeah you have to make a big deal of it you have to have a party right. <laughs> like you know have a bunch of people over and be like okay we're gonna okay, listen to the party. side of yeah we're gonna listen to the whole side of clones of dr funkenstein you know while we all you know <laughs> eat chips and dip so i'd like to have a show where i talk about how the person played the thing you yeah, know yeah, yeah um i'm just really lazy but yeah there's a lot of stuff that I, technically i'd like to get into about yeah about about things because i have a big opinion about lots of stuff so, thanks for being a real pleasure to meet you this is just really kind of yeah. chance and I didn't, I didn't wake up today thinking like, hey, you know, we're, we're going to have Robert Sledge from Ben Folds 5, like, you know, on our show today, you know, and get, to, awesome. get to just ha hang out and talk about random stuff. I mean, this is like, you know, this, this is Christmas for me. So <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, it, it was funny. It was I, had a great, I had a great time. I appreciate it. Thanks. Me too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for coming on. And my pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime you guys hit me up, you know, we'll, we'll talk some more. Thank you so much. We're super excited. Frankie and I are working really hard on putting these things together and giving you lots of interviews just like this one. We just need to get some love out there in order to get this podcast surfaced. And uh, thanks for listening.